We're going to take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians at this time, Philippians chapter number four. And uh, we've been for several weeks on Sunday mornings going through the book of Philippians together. And uh, of course, we had some interruptions due to uh, missions conference and then travel and that kind of thing. So it's been a few weeks since we uh, were in Philippians, but we finished out last time chapter three which is really a chapter that's all about <clears throat> really the, the primary focus of each individual Christian's life, and that is to pursue the knowledge and, and, and a relationship with the Lord now that you've been saved to know Him in a deeper way and to live your life with that, uh, that, that as your focus, to, to seek the Lord, to know Him. Uh, Paul said in, in verse number 10 of chapter 3 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He said in uh, verse number uh, 14, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is that prize? Well, it is that closeness with the Lord. And, and ultimately, we saw at the end of the chapter that it is not just the knowledge of God, but it really is the knowledge of God that results in a Christ-likeness in our lives because he said in verse number 21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That when one day we know, those of us who are saved, that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so the very presence of God and seeing him as he is will change us to be like him. And while that day in its completion will, ne will not happen until we are with the Lord, we are to be ever striving to be more like Him, to, to draw closer to Him and through knowing Him in a deeper way that we would be conformed to His image. Now, we're going to get into chapter 4 today and we're going to look at not just a Christian's priorities, and that is what should a Christian do and how should a Christian live, but these are actually church priorities. And these are church priorities in the last days. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about here as we get into the chapter. So if you're in Philippians 4, if you're able, would you stand with me as we read the first five verses of Philippians chapter 4 together this morning. The Bible says here, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord my dearly beloved, I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers who name, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord alway. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. So we're going to preach today on church priorities in the last days. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Why do I say church priorities in the last days? Well, the context of this passage of Scripture is that the Lord is at hand. We just read that in verse number 5, right? Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. To be at hand means to be 
imminent or to be immediately present, to be at hand. And in verse 20 of the previous chapter, it says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sandwiched between looking for the Savior, expecting the return of Christ, and the Lord is at hand, sandwiched between there are these verses that give some instruction to the church at Philippi about what they need to make a priority in these last days. When we read the first verse of chapter 4, we notice that the Bible starts uh, this chapter out with the word, therefore. And as we mention frequently around here, uh, therefore is a reference word. It references what has previously been said. In other words, the, the things I'm going to instruct you and tell you are based upon the truth that I have just revealed to you. And you see, the Bible, it, it's not just a, a bunch of disjointed random thoughts that are thrown in there. These things build upon one another. And so when we're in Philippians, everything that has been said up to this point is context for what he is about to say. And this, therefore, is in reference to looking for the Savior. We're admonished several times throughout, uh, throughout the Bible, particularly the New Testament, to be watching and waiting for Christ's return. We're told that it's imminent and that it is our blessed hope. We, we are told, Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. And he said, therefore, watch. We are to be ready and expecting the Lord to return. And so with this in mind, he says, therefore, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown. And then he's going to go on for these next several verses and he's going to give some specific instructions or calls to obedience in various areas in light of these being the last days. And the first thing that he calls them to is steadfastness. He says to them in verse number one, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Sadly, as we look in the scriptures, one thing we find is that as the return of Christ draws near, there's a falling away that takes place. In 2 Timothy chapter three, uh, the Bible says that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, you see, some people believe and teach that uh, we are living in this day and age in which we are ushering in the Lord's return and that prior to Christ's return, there's going to be kind of a, a battering of the world that as the, the word of God is preached, the world becomes better and better until we usher in the kingdom of God. But that's actually opposite of what the Bible says is going to happen. The Bible says that in the last days, there's a falling away. The Bible says that in the last days, perilous times... Trouble, troublesome times are going to come. And, and Jesus even asked the question in Luke chapter 18, in verse number 8, he said that when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? And by the time that the Lord returns, uh, this, this whole faith thing, it's going to dwindle uh, to a pretty, uh, a, a, a pretty minimal uh, flicker of light, if you will, because there is a falling away that takes place. And folks, I believe with all my heart that we are living in those last days. 
we are seeing a falling away. We're seeing people walking away from scriptural churches and turning their back on the faith and turning their back on the Lord. We're seeing churches that once stood for truth that have, that have compromised on that truth and they're changing. And we're seeing this, this really drastic shift away from the truth of the word of God that's taking place. And I can say to you that it, we need to be careful as a church that we don't fall into that trap. You see, not only is false doctrine a problem, but apathy is a real problem. Apathy is a major problem. Folks, let me tell you something. As American Christians, we have been way too comfortable for way too long, and it has caused us to become very apathetic in our approach to the things of God. And if things, you know, we, we very much appreciate and enjoy our conveniences in life. And when the service of God and obedience to God becomes inconvenient, somehow we don't really find time for it. Apathy is a very real thing that we need to watch out for. So is love of the world. The Bible tells us that we are not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world... And it says that if any man love the world, 1 John 2, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, you can either love God or you can love the world, but you can't love both because Jesus said that no man can serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll despise the one, you'll cleave to the other. And he said you cannot serve God and mammon. But folks, let's be real honest. Many of us here want to love both. We want to be able to say, I love God. I serve God, but we spend so much of our time and effort and energy going after the things of the world. And I'm just saying all of these things are happening, and I believe them to be a sign of the last days. But folks, as we are living in the last days, can I, based upon this scripture, admonish you, stand fast in the Lord. Don't fall for the trap that Satan wants to set for you to either just fall into complacency and apathy or to fall into a love of the world and pursuing the things of the world that make us happy or to fall for the many false teachings and false prophecies that are around you all the time. Stand fast in the Lord. Remain faithful to the truth. In these last days, this is the time to get serious about the, the things of God and serving the Lord. That's what he's getting at here in Philippians 4.1. He said, so stand fast in the Lord. One of, the, uh, one of my uh, favorite historical quotes or moments was, back in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, the world was in somewhat of a, a crossroads. The Soviet Union had fallen, the Iron Curtain had fallen, and, and, uh, and so you had that that whole part of the world in Eastern Europe uh, and Western Asia that had been under communism for so long, there was just some instability and uncertainty as to what was going to happen going forward. And then things were heating up in the Middle East as Saddam Hussein was really kind of uh, making a push and, 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 uh, and there was some question as to how the U.S. was going to respond to that. In 1990, President George H.W. Bush was kind of contemplating, how am I going to respond to all of the issues going on in the world? And the British Prime Minister at the time was Margaret Thatcher. How many of you remember Maggie, Margaret Thatcher? Uh, I was young when she was 
when she was in office, uh, but everything I've read about her was, uh, I, I, I'm impressed. I, uh, I had a lot, have a lot of respect for some of the things that she did. And she famously told George Bush at that time, I think it was in, in uh, 1990, that she said to him, Mr. President, with all the chaos in the world, leaders need to stand up. And then she looked at him and said, George, this is no time to go wobbly. <laughs> I love that quote. But I, I think of that in relation to where we are in the world today, knowing that Christ's return is imminent and the world is falling away in a, greater than it ever has. And friends, it's no time to go wobbly. Stand fast in the Lord. You need to be uh, more committed and more serious and more dedicated to being in the will of God and serving God with a commitment and a tenacity than ever before in your life. Stand fast in the Lord. I, I'm reminded here when, when it says to stand fast in the Lord of the word steadfast as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, let's go there. 1 Corinthians 15. This is a familiar verse, no doubt, to all of us. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 15, he's speaking of the resurrection that we know is going to take place at what we call the rapture, when the dead in Christ are going to be called up first, and then those who are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet them in the air. And it says in verse number 57, But thanks be to God, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Folks, let's be honest. In these last days... As we try to serve the Lord, it can feel like a losing battle sometimes, can't it? it? It can feel as though people have just rejected truth and really are uninterested in truth. And what does it really even matter? I think personally this is one reason that, uh, that Calvinism has taken such a hold in so many places. Because Calvinism, by definition, is really somewhat of a fatalistic view where it says... Everyone who's going to be saved is going to be saved, and everyone who's not is not. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether I preach the gospel or not. The only thing that that affects is my obedience, but it, it has no eternal consequence. Now, friend, I won't stand here and pretend to understand all of the ins and outs of how God works. I understand that salvation is a work of God. It, it, it's not just a work of man. It's a work that God does in a person's heart. It's Him who grants us repentance uh, unto, unto life. It's, it's God who works in us. But please do not misunderstand that when Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that was a command because that is the method by which God brings people to Christ. And He said, How shall they hear without a preacher in Romans 10? And so it would be foolish of us to fall into this trap or this idea of feeling like, well, whatever will be, will be. And so I'm just going to kind of ride the wave and ride it out and just wait it out until Christ returns. No, Paul said your labor, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
When, when you serve God in obedience, when you're faithful to witness and tell people of Christ, this is not in vain. It's not empty. He said, be steadfast and unmovable. That has to do with not being persuaded and falling into error. But then he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So not only are you to not be moved by error, but you are to be diligent in your pursuit of, of serving the Lord. Be steadfast. May I encourage us, church, we do not know how much longer we have before Christ returns. We don't know. Uh, it, it, could, it could be another 10 years. It could be another 20 years. We don't know. But friend, I believe with all my heart it could be today. And so because of this, we need to be steadfast. Stand fast in the Lord. Our time is short. So he calls them to steadfastness, but then he calls them to single-mindedness. And I love this because in verse number 2 of Philippians 4, he says here, I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, throughout the New Testament and even already in the book of Philippians, we find many instructions and admonitions toward what we would call unity within a church. And we know this to be necessary. Uh, we saw, in fact, in uh, chapter 2 and verse number 1, uh, he, he says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So as a church, he's saying to them, you need to be united. You need to be of the same mind. He said in the previous chapter, chapter 1 and verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we know that this is a truth that God that God wants churches to be united. A church is a body. And a body can only function when all of the body works together. My body can only function as my brain tells my lungs to, to breathe in air and tells my heart to beat, right? And these do so in succession so that when the, the lungs take in oxygen, it oxygenates the blood that then pumps that that the heart takes and pumps that blood to the other parts of my body. And all of this has to function together or it's not functioning properly. And the same is true within a church. A church, in order to function properly, must be united and must be working together. And to that we would all say amen. We know this is true. We preach it all the time here. We need to be united. But did you know that it's possible for a church, kind of on the whole, to be united, to, to, to not be divided, and yet for there to be conflicts between certain individuals within the church? And I want to say to you that this is not of God. It is not of God. And so here, even though this is instructions for churches, church priorities in the last days... Paul turns and he speaks to two individuals. These are two ladies within the church. 
How do we know they're ladies? Well, they have feminine names. <laughs> now, when I, when I say that, I don't mean their names sound girly, you know? We, we in, 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 uh, in the U.S., and, and really in the English-speaking world, we uh, will use names. In fact, we have names that can apply to a man or a woman, you know? Um, we, we've had uh, people and known people in the same church before where you had men and women who were named Aaron, or men and women who are named Chris, or something like that. You know, that's not... I'm not saying when they sound... They, these are feminine-sounding names. The Greek language is a very specific language. And in Greek, these are feminine names. This would only apply to women. Okay, and so, so these two individuals are apparently at odds with one another. Because he says, I beseech them. I, I beseech Iodias and beseech... Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I'm pleading with them that they would reconcile their differences and be of the same mind. Folks, I, I, I want to say this. I have seen, I have seen situations in which the majority of the church is on the same page and united and going forward together, but where there is still individual conflict between one or two members, three or four members, I've seen it where, as a church, the Spirit is good. It seems like the Lord is at work. But one sits over here and one sits over here and the twain shall never meet because there's enough other people in the church that I can be friends with that I don't have to talk to that person. And I don't have to deal with them. Folks, I want to say to you, that is not of God. And it is a hindrance. It is a hindrance to the Spirit of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 4... That we are to grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. And it says it in the context of putting aside malice and bitterness and evil speakings and all of these different things. Put those things away. Why? Because they grieve the Lord. And it's very possible that even this morning as we sit in church... And maybe you're here and you say, I just want to please the Lord in my life, in my worship, in my service. I want to please the Lord. But if there is something between you and a brother or sister in Christ, it needs to be reconciled or you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. You're grieving Him. And so Paul says to these two ladies, we don't know who they were, but we find out a little bit more about them in a little while. He says, I beseech you, be of the same mind. He said, well, how can I possibly do that? I mean, she's crazy. She, she's annoying. She's whatever, right? And I'm using she because these are she's, okay? But this can apply to he's too. He says, be of one mind. How can I be of one mind with someone who doesn't think like me? It doesn't say be of the same mind, does it? It says, be of the same mind in the Lord. Amen. Do you know that, that that is the key to reconciling every relationship? It is the Lord. It's the Lord. Because He is the great reconciler. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Why would they be called the children of God? Because children do what their parents do. And God is a peacemaker. That's what he is. We're ambassadors for Christ according to 2 Corinthians 5. I pray you, and Christ said, be reconciled to God. That's, that's who God is. He's a reconciler. 
And so now if we, if we say, well, I, I want to be at peace with others and I want to be of the same mind, but how is that possible? It's very simple. Get your mind aligned with God's mind. It's in the Lord. The question isn't, by the way, who's right and who's wrong. The question is, what is God's will? And God's will is for you to be reconciled to your brother or your sister. Be reconciled. This is, uh, this is commanded by the Lord. In fact, go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. I think this is very often overlooked or ignored because it's, very, it's, a very, it's an inconvenient truth. But it is a truth. Matthew chapter 5. And look with me at verse number 23. This is Jesus. He says here, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So here's what Jesus says. If, when, when you are trying... To do something for God. You're going to make a sacrifice. You're going to bring an offering to the Lord. And in the process of bringing this offering to the Lord, it comes into your mind and you're reminded that there is something between you and your brother. He didn't say, after you've made your offering to the Lord... Then go and reconcile with your brother. Now that would make sense to us from a human perspective, right? God's the priority. Other people are secondary. So I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to please the Lord, and then I'm going to go get things right with my brother. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that's out of order. What you're to do is stop what you're doing and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Well, Lord, why? Because it's more important what's going on on the inside than what's going on on the outside. And God's interested in more than just an offering. God's interested in your heart. And the harsh reality is, if something is between you and a brother and you're unwilling to reconcile that, you're not right with God to begin with. You've got to, you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with the hard issue. Otherwise, the sacrifice is just empty and vain. Is it possible, friend, is it possible that some of us are here serving God outwardly, but it's empty and meaningless because something's not right in the heart? And there's some relationship that needs to be reconciled. I beseech you, be of the same mind in the Lord. Get it settled. Stop what you're doing. And be reconciled to your brother. So he says, you need to be of the same mind. By the way, 1 Corinthians 2, for what it's worth, tells us that we have the mind of Christ. Did you know if, if you're saved and I'm saved... It really doesn't matter what our differences are. We can be reconciled because we both have the mind of Christ. Amen. 
We both have the mind of Christ. So for whatever reason, these two sisters, maybe not physical blood-related sisters, but sisters in Christ, servants in the church, by the way, were at odds with one another, and he's pleading with them, and he says, be reconciled, be of the same mind in the Lord. So he calls them to steadfastness, and then he calls them to single-mindedness, and I want you to notice this because in verse number 3, he, he, he calls them to strive together. Verse 3, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. We don't know who this yoke fellow individual is, but it's someone. He says, help. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Now there's a, some really important truths here that I don't want you to miss. Everything I've read in my study of these verses of Scripture indicates that when he says, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, that this is actually a reference to the two that he just mentioned, Yodius and Syntyche. Now, why does that matter? Well, I, I think this matters for several reasons. One of the things that matters is this. Did you know it's possible to disagree with a brother or sister in Christ and for them still to be used of God. Both of these people, both of these individuals, he said, help them which labored with me. These were co-laborers of the Apostle Paul. These were helpers in the work. Don't believe the lie that because... You disagree with this person or they did something over here that you're the only one who's right and, and God can use you, but God can't use them. Understand this. If God uses any of us, it's because of his mercy and grace. It's not because... Listen, if God uses me, it's not because of Brian Weiss. There's nothing in me that God can look at and say, man, I need that. It's just not. If God uses me, it's because he's merciful and gracious. And he uses me in spite of me, not because of me. And the same is true of you. And so it's important to note, God can even use them. He can use someone else too. And now he says, listen, it's important that you strive together. I entreat the also true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Another thing I want to point out to you about this is that every member of a New Testament church has a purpose. Every member has a purpose. Here we, are, we find several women who are identified directly as laborers with Paul, and yet... If you know the Bible, you know the New Testament, the Bible is very clear that women are not to serve as pastors. Women are not to preach. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, says, Let your women keep silence in the churches. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man. Uh, the the Bible is very clear on this issue. There's no question. There can be no debate, really, from the Bible about this issue. And yet, even though... A woman is not to serve as a pastor, a teacher, a leader of men. 
She has a place in the church. And she's valuable to the work of the ministry as every other member is. Don't, don't, don't buy this idea that, you know, men can serve God in a greater way than women can. Our roles are different. Our roles are different. But 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the church being a body and having different giftings, one of the things it says there in verse number 18 is that God hath set the members in the body, every one of them, as it hath pleased Him. If you are a member of this body, you are a necessary and vital component to God's work in this place. It doesn't matter what that role is, you're important and you matter. And one of us is not more important than another. All of us are to be serving. And so he says, I, I, I entreat you to, to, to help them, to work together. We have differences of roles, folks. But we all ought to be striving together for the Lord's glory. I use the example at times, the, the, again, the Bible is very clear that the husband is the head of the wife. You know who's responsible for the leadership of your home? Men, you are. It's not your wife's job to lead your family. Husbands are the head of the wife. They're the head of the home. This is God's plan. But do you think for a second that the husband is more important to the family than the wife? Not in our house. My wife jokes about the fact when I come home, the kids come running. Dad! She goes, well, why don't they do that for me? Well, they're with you more. But let me tell you something. If mom's gone for just a little while, when's mom coming home? She's the glue that holds our house together. I'm not more important than she is in our home. We just have a different role. Ladies, you're no less important than the men of this church. You just have a different role. I'm no more important than you are to this church. We just have a different role. And so what is, what, is our, what is our job? Work together for the gospel. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now we're not going to spend a lot of time on verse 4 this morning because it's the theme of the book. And we've, we've hit on this several times. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, a little bit later, obviously this theme of, of, of the book is rejoicing in the Lord in all things. It, it's a theme of the book to joy and rejoice, and the whole book is being written from a prison cell. Think about that. You say, well, how in the world? We're in these last days, and there's war in the Middle East, and in, 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 in between Russia and Ukraine, and and, and, I mean, our economy is on the verge of collapse, and there's an election coming up, and, 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 and what if there's another pandemic, and I just don't... 
Listen. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. There, there is no reason, there is no reason that God's people should be anything but joyful and happy in the Lord. Because as the world is falling apart all around us, our hope has not changed. Our anchor is as, is as solid as it has ever been because my rock is not as their rock. Rejoice in the Lord. And that brings us to our last point, verse number five. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He calls us not only to steadfastness, single-mindedness, and striving together, but he calls us to sanity and stability. Sanity and stability. In, our, in this world of chaos, as the world is falling apart around us, he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The word moderation, it refers to gentleness and patience and meekness. Really, we could summarize it by saying the fruit of the Spirit is evident in moderation. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything within the context? Well, again, the context is the soon return of Christ. Verse number 6 that we'll get into next time says, be careful for nothing. That's to be filled with care, to be overcome with worry. It says, don't, don't do that. Oh, in the middle of all this chaos, what am I going to do? Let your moderation be known to all men. He doesn't call us to seek a revolution, to overthrow a government. He doesn't call us to become preppers and stock up on food and ammunition in hopes that, you know, we'll, we'll make it through the apocalypse. Listen, God is able to deliver his people. God will take care. I'm not saying don't be prepared. I'm just saying don't, don't worry. Let your moderation be known. Listen, in a world of chaos, in a world full of division, hatred, anxiety, worry, anger, all of the things that we see going on around uh, among us or around us, the people of this world ought to be able to walk through the doors of Mount Zion Baptist Church and say, you know, there's something different about these people. In the midst of chaos, they're gentle and patient and stable. Let your moderation not just be, but let it be known unto all men. Others ought to look at us and say, there's something different about those people. They are grounded, stable, confident in a world where that's not the norm. Why? Well, because it's in the Lord. It's in the Lord. The Lord is at hand. And this ought not come as a discouragement to us. It should be an encouragement. And everything that you see unfolding in the world around you should just cause you to do what Jesus said to his people, to Israel, when he, in Luke chapter 21. He said, when you see all these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. We ought to be encouraged. Christ is coming soon. Let's be steadfast. Let's be single-minded. Let's strive together with sanity and stability because the Lord is coming soon. So very quickly, I want to ask this question. Are you ready for Christ's return? 
Have you been saved? That's, that's number one on the list. Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? That you are a child of God? Have you been saved? Because if not, none of this other stuff can apply to you because you're not in Christ. These other things only apply if you're in Christ. Today, can I invite you to come to Christ and become His child through faith? The Bible says in John chapter 1, As many as received Him, Jesus, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. You can receive Christ as your Savior today and become a child of God, have your sins forgiven, and have the promise of eternal life and a home in heaven. God promised it. To those who are saved today, can I ask you this? Are you serving as if Christ could come today? Are you, is your life prioritizing the service of God or are you kind of distracted by the things of the world? Are you at odds with a brother or sister in Christ. I, I believe with all my heart, friend, if Christ were to return today, many of us would be grieved that we didn't reconcile some things that should have been. And are we together striving, working for the Lord with stability and trusting God even in the midst of chaotic times. These are some instructions for churches and priorities for churches in the last days. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.